whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi guys, jumping in here to tell you about one of our amazing partners, Highline Wellness. Highline Wellness is a CBD company on a mission to provide only the highest quality CBD, 100% natural and free of chemicals. If you haven't tried Highline Wellness CBD, it is derived from hemp, but contains no THC, so it's non-intoxicating, giving you all the benefits without the high. You can tailor the experience to your needs, whether you want to improve sleep, reduce inflammation, relieve anxiety, provide mental clarity, or allow for peace of mind. My star product from Highline Wellness is their CBD Night Gummies for sleep, which are formulated with CBD alongside melatonin to help give you the best beauty rest of your life. So to try Highline Wellness, use code AGELESS15 at checkout. Again, that is AGELESS15 at checkout. Try it out, guys. Well, we are so excited that Kellen helped us put this together. Um, I've heard such amazing things about a kids co and I'm really excited to talk to you because I wish I had these books growing up. I would love to just jump right in for anyone who doesn't know your story and how you started the company. We would love to just hear a little bit of background on that. Yeah, sure. Well, one, thanks for having me on the show. Um, it's a it's a total honor. I, I spent some time yesterday listening to a couple episodes and it's really wonderful conversation. Oh. I started the company by really by accident. Wasn't ever supposed to be a company. I'm a, a father of six children. It's a lot of kids um, from three to 17. I wrote a book for them back in 2018 really as a way to make sure that they always felt comfortable being honest with me about race, culture, color, and, and racism, and always felt comfortable to talk with me, their dad, about it. So it wasn't a big project. I spent a week writing that book for them, and then I spent a week designing it. I had no experience making books at all. I just was like, this is a thing for my kids so that they always know they can come and talk to me, and I want them to ask questions. You know, I've got four white stepkids, and I've got two brown kids, and I always want them to feel comfortable, especially talking about racism. So I titled the book, A Kid's Book About Racism. It was the thing that made the most sense to me. And my kids loved it. They thought it was really cool. And it was my kids who were the first ones to see it as more than just a fun project for them, but something that could be more. And, you know, my daughter Joy at the time was like, oh, can I, can I make a book too? And I said, sure. What book would you want to make? She said, I want to write a kid's book about divorce. And I was like, Whoa. Whoa. And the thing you have to know about Joy is she's 10 at the time. Her parents' divorce was the hardest thing that she had ever experienced. It would still bring her to tears to to talk about it. And I said, Joy, well, why why would you want to do that? And she said, I want other kids to know what it's like so they're not so scared when they go through it. And I thought, one, that's really kind and generous of her. And two, how on earth did my little book on racism unlock this for her? The permission not just to go there, 
but to share right further. And, and, and that was the first moment that I realized one, this could be more than this very small little book for my kids Two, that it could unlock all sorts of conversations for kids in, in really profound ways. So fast forward, I left the other company that I had started um, called Circle. Uh, we made a, a cool parental controls device. I've been running that company for seven years to go start this really insane publishing project that was going to focus on making the books that I wish I had when I was a kid the books that I, I thought kids really needed to unlock and open those conversations that were the most fundamental, that were the most empowering, that were the most important. We launched with six books in 2019, creativity, cancer, anxiety, depression, racism. And now we're well over 60 books, eight podcast shows, a streaming platform, hundreds of thousands of books sold all over the world on topics from systemic racism, death, white privilege, climate change, being transgender, being inclusive, being non-binary. And all of these books are designed for kids from five to nine, right? Kids who have started school, kids who spend their time on Roblox online, kids who are navigating the world and have real questions and have real hurts, real experiences, real thoughts, real feelings, and often have adults around them who have no idea what to say, who have no idea where to start. So we really made the books to sort of bridge that gap to start a conversation between them. The thing that interests me too is that all of these subjects are changing so quickly. You know, the world is changing around those subjects. And how do you keep up with it? How do you revise and keep the conversation growing? Yeah. One, we're a totally different kind of book publisher than really most any in the world in that we make our books really quickly. And, and, and we also make our books with folks who've often never published before. So one of the ways that we stay fresh, that we stay relevant, that we stay responsive is we go find somebody who has first person experience with that topic, who, who has an owned voice from that perspective. And, and in publishing, that's not always the case. When you're talking about writing a book on a topic, it usually comes from an academic perspective or someone who's famous who just ends up getting to be the person who writes that book. So that means we often go find people who never thought of publishing a book or thought of themselves as writers, but it does mean that they have that unique experience that is their own. And there's a, a massive defense in that. My book isn't everything there is to say about racism. It's about my experience with racism and what I understand it to be. And so in that way, it's a kid's book, not the kid's book, right, mm -hmm. on any one topic. And then, you know, we also work collaboratively with our authors. So believe it or not, we write all of our books in a single day. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we do this, this thing that we're doing right here. There's usually three folks from our team, one author or two authors, depending. We spend five hours together on Zoom. It's a little bit group therapy, a little bit writer's workshop. We share our stories. That's including us on our team as well as the author. We find what that book should be and then we let them lead in that process of crafting that story. But us bringing our experience of having made as many books as we've made as well as bringing our honesty and talking to kids and going there, right? And, and, and being okay to say the hard thing. And then we are really quick to market. You know, our, our average time from 
workshopping a book, that one day experience to a book in someone's hands is about three months. Typical publishing is about 18 to 24 months for that to, you know, be true to get a book in a customer's hands. We've done it in as little time as a month for a physical book. And we've done it in as little time as a week for an ebook. So we work really fast. Will some of these topics become outdated? Will we be sort of be behind the curve eventually? The answer is, I don't know. But our hope is, is by finding the voices where these stories originate from, our immigration author is a dreamer. And they came over uh, when they were six years old. And, and it's their first person lived experience. It's not everything there is to say about immigration and the U.S.'s policies here or there. It's their experience mm-hmm. on immigrating to this country and, and, and trying to find a better life. It's the struggle of that and the, the stigma of that in our country. And so we try and approach it from a very personal perspective. So you're actually creating a historic narrative as well as the, of yeah. the moment, what's relevant. But and then it becomes this historic narrative then. Yeah, when I think back to being in middle school or my first years of high school, I remember, or even lower grades, actually, I remember certain books that really shaped the way that I thought about myself and cared for myself. I think there was one called How to Take Care of Your Body. I remember the cover had like Mm. girls standing there with towels on, like all in a dressing room. And I remember that books being so important for like me understanding Mm. my body and going through puberty and stuff like that. And I think that there's something so special and personal about books because it is something that you do by yourself most of the time, but then can be shared, like your thoughts on it can be shared with others and it can be like a community building experience. But in that moment, it's just you taking in the information on your own, which is so, it's so special. You've hit it on the head, especially children's books as a, as a format to tell story, to change hearts, to change minds, to create this magic connection between grown-up and kid before bedtime, there's sort of nothing else like it. Like, what is it other than just a story, but stories bind us together, stories teach us truths. And then, you know, when you're doing the act of reading by yourself, you're often reading in your head, right? So you're concocting this story in your head with just words and images, But when you sit down with an adult and you read together, and our books are really crafted this way to sort of go, hey, grown up, sit there with your kid and read together. It sparks all these conversations because all of a sudden, especially with our books, things are being said aloud to the kid's ears that they've never heard before because no grown up around them has ever had the courage to tell them, right? So a kid's book about death written by a really wonderful woman, Taryn Schulke, who, who's a bereavement expert. So she spends all of her days speaking with kids who are dying, as well as their families who are dealing with having a child die, right? And helping them process that, understand that, uh, wrap their heads around it. And, and so she said, one of the things that she gets asked the most is like, how does death work? And so we break down in the book how it works. What does it mean to die? It means your body stops working. And there are a handful of ways that can happen. So we tick through those. And these are all things that like, it's not top on your list when someone dies to have this conversation with the kid. 
usually say it's going to be okay. They went to a better place. You know, it's okay to cry. Those are all fine things to say. Not always helpful, but sometimes kids want to go, but where do they go? What happens? Why did it happen? Where did it happen? Right. And these all become really important things to navigate with the kid because when we opt out of explaining them, we let the kid just imagine what might have been true, mm-hmm. right? And and what they come up with is not only inevitably wrong, it often inevitably is scary for them because they don't know whether it's the truth or not. And they know that the every time they bring it up with the adults around them, the adults go, ooh, we don't talk about that. Like that's not, it's not appropriate to talk about that right now. Yeah, I think really the important part in this whole process is because these topics are being discussed, a book, you know, it validates your experience. So what you are feeling or thinking isn't something that you're coping with alone as a child. And I think there are so many topics. I definitely deal with anxiety, but growing up, I never knew what that feeling was. So I think that if I had had someone in a book or a a character in a book or a movie or a podcast or whatever it was to look at and validate my experience, I would be, I I wouldn't be talking through it as much in therapy now, maybe. Um, Same with divorce or whatever (laughs) it is that like the topics that I relate to most in the kids books. But I think something that we really want to touch on here, our audience is more my age, late teens, early 20s. And I think a lot of these topics are things that we weren't taught as children or, Mm. you know, as you're saying, a lot of times people around us were just like, or grownups around us were just like, okay, you know, it's going to be okay. Or we don't talk about those things or it just wasn't an open conversation. And I think a lot of us are dealing with these things later in life. I know you guys have a book on self-love and I think that that's really a topic that's being discussed now a ton, especially when it comes to social media. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that and how how to imbue self-esteem at a younger age and how those coping techniques, I guess, are formed in childhood. I think something not just to know about our books, but I think the topics that we tackle is that they're universal. They're not necessarily particularly important to kids in as much as they're particularly important for life, for everyone. One of the things I hear a lot about a lot of our books is not just, oh, my kid loved this, thank you, is I got a lot out of this book. And and also, I wish I had this when I was a kid because I'm, I'm unpacking it all in therapy now, mm-hmm. right? Wouldn't it have been great if I was seven and somebody just told me, hey, here's this thing, right? Our latest book on self-love is really wonderful. And I think the message that it emphatically gets across is it's okay to be you and it's okay to be the way you are and it's okay to think the way you think and it's okay to look the way you look. And it dives deeper into how to navigate that, how to deal with pushback, how to deal with bullying, how to deal with people who don't like you for the way you are, because all those things will come but it's, it's that sort of fundamental truth that I think kids don't just deal with, adults deal with, right? It's like, how do I navigate the world and be myself and not be driven by whether people like me for who I am or who I'm not? 
And in that way, it becomes, I think, very universal, both for kids and for young adults, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, right? I know people well into, you know, their senior years who are still dealing with, grappling with, loving themselves the way they are. So in terms of tips and tricks, you know, I don't know if I have any other than one of the things our books tries to instill is the idea that it's okay to feel, is that it's okay to talk about how you feel, and it's okay to be okay with how you feel. And what I mean by that is, is we often struggle with giving ourselves permission to feel sad, to feel angry, to feel frustrated, to feel hurt. And we often try and avoid those things or try and talk us out of feeling those things, being those things. And when you're able to sort of work through all those things, also giving yourself permission to just be, right? Which traces back to, am I okay how I look, how I talk, how I sound, how I interact with the world, who I'm friends with, who I'm not friends with. And when you give yourself that internal validation, it allows you to feel validated, which then doesn't drive you when others validate you or don't validate you. It's nice to have others validate you, but it's not sort of the core to you going about every day and feeling like you are loved for who you are or, or not loved. I'm just thinking too, like, how do you know when you have that safe person that you can have that conversation with? And how do you start a conversation about a personally prickly subject, you know, that you, you want to talk to someone about? How do you know that they're the safe person to talk to? Yeah. Well, I think most of us, and I hope all of us, but, but maybe some of us don't. Most of us have someone in our life that we know we can trust. That when we tell something to, they're not going to use it to harm us, use it against us, hold it over us, right? Uh, somebody that we can just trust with anything, whether that's money or password to our Gmail account, or if we need to tell them something, right? It turns out people who are trustworthy in that way, when you go tell them something, when you enter into some prickly topic and just want to ask questions or let them know something or share an idea or an opinion, is they're likely going to act in a trustworthy way. And I think for each of us, we can look at our friend groups, we can look at our parents, we can look at our colleagues, and we may never have put them on a do I trust them or not index. But once you start to do that, you go, oh, there are people that I really genuinely love and like that I actually don't trust. That I know won't be super awesome when it comes to navigating and diving into these things. And that's okay, right? Not all the people close to us have to be people that we ultimately fundamentally trust we can still be good friends. We can still be work colleagues. But when it comes to stuff like this, trust has to be present. And then the other thing is, as someone who's capable of vulnerability, right? It's not great to be vulnerable around somebody who can't be vulnerable back. They have to go there. They have to be that. They have to be able to be, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable. The skill of being able to open a conversation that might be tough I think it's sim as simple as calling it like it is. For example, just being like, hey, I'm struggling with this topic and I would love to hear your thoughts. And I think just like addressing the elephant in the room in that way right off the bat can be really helpful. I just had a friend recently come to me with some hard news that she was struggling with some health issues. And I remember when she told me, 
she opened the conversation as there's something I, I need to tell you. You know, I have been having this issue for a while now and I trust you with this information. Don't worry so, about me. Uh, I, I'm I'm okay. I'm going to be okay, but I, I want you to know this. And I think opening the conversation in that way gave me the opportunity to listen and understand without having to say, I'm sorry, or feeling like pity for her in that moment. And just really showing up as a friend and listening to her experience, which I thought was a great way to open kind of a tougher convo. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. And and you were someone that she could trust, right? Which I think is the the important part. And then my guess is you didn't try and like make it okay, right? You didn't try and go, oh, well, I just know this is going to work out or it's going to be okay. Yeah. Or it's going to be fine. I really think that is sort of like the worst habit to have. I mean, I grew up like that mm-hmm. where the goal was to always just make it better, make it better, you know, polish it up and make it go away when then you're not actually dealing with Mm -hmm. so many of these issues. And, and I think that that's another great thing about, about these books is that it makes you feel like it's okay to just live with something Mm -hmm. and feel something and get through it on your own timeline. Yeah. I, I will say that's something that you've definitely gotten so much better at like I I even remember growing up like I think it was more of the sugar-coated mentality yeah. and now deny I feel, defy and sugarcoat yeah was that, was, that was the, that but was that's a coping mechanism you exactly. know it's like a way to deal with the hard stuff but I think that now we're definitely able to have harder conversations and I think that starting those conversations at a younger age allows kids to feel as though, you know, as they're going through hard stuff, you know, just in their younger ages in middle school and elementary school or below even being able to have somebody that they know they can trust in their life that is not going to tell them all the time, it's okay. And you will get over this. Some things like you might have to deal with for your whole life. Yeah. And you need a someone, a support figure in your life to be able to talk about those things. And so I think opening those harder conversations earlier and addressing the elephant in the room saying, you know, I want to talk about something a little bit uncomfortable. Uncomfortable or yeah. more intense or something. I don't know. Is that is that good? Because you're putting a label, this is a hard conversation. But at the same time, I think that it has to be that way. I don't know how else you would open. I mean, you got to be honest about it. I, the thing that I love and that we're very intentional about with our books is is it's very plain. You don't have, there's no like, oh, I wonder what this book is about. It's like, no, it literally says it on the, the cover, right? The title yeah, yeah. is what it's about. <laughs> and the thing with kids, especially, is they don't come with all the baggage on that stuff. They're just curious. They have questions. So like, oh, great. Well, cool. We're going to talk about this. Awesome. Right. And they'll dive right in. Whereas grownups genuinely don't know what to say. And often it'd be better to just say, I have no idea what to say. Someone dies in the family. I have genuinely no idea what to say. Like That's better than 
I'm sure God has a plan. It's like, what? Like, this is not the thing you say to somebody, right? But what we try and do is we go, we feel so uncomfortable in that moment that we try and just go, how do I make me feel comfortable with this person's disclosure, right? Is to go, I, your vulnerability and unhappiness or sadness makes me feel uncomfortable. So I need to say something to make you stop doing that, right? (laughs) Which, Which you can imagine if a kid comes to you vulnerably and is like, I need something and you're like, oh, it's going to be okay. Like get over it. Right. That's like the worst thing you can do in that moment with the kid. So our books, they create this bridge. They create a shared language. They give the grown up literal words to say, because they're often reading it aloud. And now they've said them and they're kind of thankful. They go, oh yeah, I guess that, that book put it in a really good way. That is kind of what that is and what that's like. And then they can have a conversation from there and they realize it's not so scary. Their kid's not broken from learning about this topic, no matter how difficult it is, and that they have stuff that they've never talked about that they probably should talk about. And whether that's with the kid or with somebody else, we're very clear. Our books are on challenging, empowering, and important topics, and they're designed for kids. But from adult to adult, it becomes hard to have these conversations because there's everything in society says, this is inappropriate, it's wrong, it's bad, this is not how you operate. And yet we're all walking around with all this stuff, the traumas, the abuse, the neglect, the fear, the insecurities. Every time we go into the workplace, we bring all that stuff with us. And all that stuff is bumping up against itself with other folks. It creates so much sort of depressurizing when we're able to say, hey, when somebody asks us how we're doing, we say, hey, I'm actually not doing well today, right? my depression is is in a bad space and that's been really tough or you know my cousin they died and we just went to the funeral and i'm still processing right that's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable to to do that i don't care where you're at starbucks work zoom it doesn't matter but what it does and what i realized my book did for my kids was it gives permission for that other person to go you know i'm not doing well either my anxiety is like in a bad place and thank you for sharing where you're at with your mental health. It gives me permission to do that. And so I think we all owe it to each other to be honest, to be vulnerable. And look, the trust thing is a tough thing because that's I'm, I'm also saying that in a context where you may be disclosing that to somebody you can't trust, quote unquote. You might open up the door for that person who is your work colleague, who's the jerk in the office to go to disclose to you, to go, you know what? I'm just angry all the time because I had a bad relationship with my dad, right? Like, who knows? Who knows what could come out of that? All this stuff comes from somewhere. You think that could actually happen? I'll I'll give a workplace scenario, okay? Because this is very real. This happens in my workplace. I need to hear this. It's really about how leaders behave in a workplace. I truly believe, think of any big company the image of that company is made in the image of its founders or its leaders, right? So Apple is made in the image of Steve Jobs and how he did life, right? Microsoft is made very much so in the image of Bill Gates. Now it's changed with Satya Nadella running the company, but think of even smaller companies. So at my company, if I make a habit of being vulnerable, it creates a context where being vulnerable is normal or being vulnerable is okay, where we're being honest is okay. If I make a habit of saying I'm sorry when I screw up, when I do something wrong, genuinely, and I sincerely mean it, it creates this context where those things can happen. So what I often find happens is if I say, 
hey folks, I got to take a day. Like I'm just, I'm crashing. I'm, I'm hitting a wall. My kids are frustrating the hell out of me and I'm just tired, which I literally had to do last week. So this is not like a fake example that gives the team's permission to go take care of yourself. It's okay. We got this. And also when they feel in that same place, they go, Hey, I need to take a day. I'm crashing. I'm tired. My kids are frustrating me. They know that I'm going to say that's okay, or at least I'm going to understand it, right? And it opens up these really fascinating and interesting conversations, but it has to start somewhere. And if it starts with the leadership, all the better, but it can start from other places. It genuinely can. And you find that in a lot of ways, those people that you they had qualities that you disliked about them, right? They were impulsive. They were angry. They talked over you. All that stuff comes from some place, some insecurity, some trauma, some experience, some relationship in their life, right? And uncovering that, it's a two-way street. You can't ask them to just lay it all out on the table. You have to be vulnerable yourself, right? And all this is like, it's complicated, it's sticky, but I found massive dividends paid emotionally in our workplace with our 25-person company. When, when I lead in this way, when I behave in this way, it's not easy, but I can tell you it's a lot more fun than those tense meetings where you kind of want to just let somebody have it because they're annoying the hell out of you. Like it just, those things, they do not happen on our company because we operate in a, a trust meets vulnerability way with each other. I have a question. So let's say somebody shares something with you they lay it all out on the table and you don't really have anything to give in return. Let's say that you don't have something you're dealing with right now, or maybe you haven't gone through something that you want to share in that moment to make it feel like an equal exchange of trauma. I know how bad that sounds, but let's say that you are in that situation. What do you do then? To make mm. that person feel seen and understood without giving yourself, or even maybe you're not ready to share the the thing that you, maybe it's not the right setting that you're able to share. Maybe you are feeling anxious or you are feeling depressed that day, but you don't feel like sharing it in that moment with that other person. So three things, okay? So one is what not to do, what is to do, and then what one is what I think actually happens in those situations. So what I think actually happens in those situations is you've been waiting to tell somebody, but you've never felt comfortable enough to do it. And that person disclosing mm -hmm. makes you go, ah, oh, finally, I can tell somebody what's going on with me, and it's not weird or uncomfortable. That doesn't always happen, but I think that that often happens because that pressure builds up, okay? Here's what not to do is... Not to say, I can't imagine how you feel. That never works for people who are in a tough place is, is to tell them how you're feeling. I can't even imagine it. I can't even picture it. I can't, I am not going to let myself feel the way you do, right? It's like, it's the worst thing you can tell. And yet we all say it because we think we go, what you're going through is so bad. I don't want to diminish it by trying to pretend like I know. When that person there wants the exact opposite, what they want is empathy. They want you to join them in their shoes and go feel with me, cry with me, grieve with me, right? Carry this weight with me, not 
keep me by myself, right? So when we say I can't imagine, we're we're only doing folks a disservice. And so, but I think the type of disclosure doesn't have to be, oh, I deal with that too. Let me share, you know, my, you know, my dad abandoned me when I was four and it messed me up in therapy, right? Like, which is my real story, by the way. What we can say is to go, that's awful. It sounds really hard. That makes me feel grief and anguish and pain. And I'm here with you. I'm going to sit in it with you. I don't know what you need, but if you need something, I'm here for you, right? That, find me a person grieving, they're never going to turn that away, right? They're going to say, oh, it's not what I need. I need you to fix it. They're going to say, thank you, because I, I just feel sad. And it's okay to feel sad, but I want somebody to be here with me in that thing there's no disclosure involved in that. You don't have to give any extra piece of information from your past or your present. What you do have to give is yourself and that that whole self, which is really what empathy is about, um, is being able to feel with somebody instead of for them, right? For them is sympathy, with them is empathy, which by the way, is one of our books, right? A kid's book about empathy, which is right behind me somewhere. I think that's what should and and could happen in those situations. And and look, we are always people wherever we go. All this stuff is always on the table anywhere. I don't care if you're at a sports game, if you're at a concert, if you're at a party, if you're at home, if you're watching a movie, if you're having a panic attack, you're having a panic attack. There's, Panic attacks don't happen at appropriately appropriate times where it's okay to feel things. They just happen, right? And it turns out we feel things all the time. And so empathy can also happen anywhere. It can happen while you're at the movies or at a concert or at a friend's house or at a party. Dare I say even at work, right? That's okay. There are also appropriate things, you know, like that doesn't mean don't cross any lines. There are some boundaries at work where it can get too familiar. And then I think it feels a little bit weird when you you know too much about someone's personal life when you're working together. I don't know. I just wonder, you know, by disclosing personal trauma to a coworker, it feels extra scary because I think you're also sort of breaking what would traditionally be some boundaries in the workplace. And I would say that's true. I think some of those traditional boundaries have gotten workplaces into a lot of trouble, right? This is like when something racist gets said in a meeting, it's like, it would be me breaking what traditionally is okay at work is to go, hey, that was a racist, right? Or pull that person aside. Like that's traditionally like the wrong thing to do. And yet we all know that's actually the right thing to do. I also think this is how harassment persists or sexism, right? All those things, right? But those boundaries, I think, so this is, I'll give a good good example again. Like I'm the CEO at my company. So I sort of get to decide the culture in a lot of ways. And so what I never ask from people is disclosure. I never go, Hey, I noticed you're, you're being weird in that meeting. What's going on? Like, tell me everything. Right. What I actually do very specifically say is, Hey, I noticed that you seem like you're in a weird space. You don't have to tell me anything. I just want you to know that I see you. And I want you to know that if you need anything, I'm here to help provide that. If that's time off, if that's a conversation with another coworker, if that's something that I did, I just want you to know there's space 
for that to be okay. What I do is I create the context for that. If something needs to happen, it can happen, right? But they get to be in the driver's seat with that. Now, once things are disclosed, one, there's just privacy, right? Like, you know, that doesn't mean like I sit up in the hall, hands next meeting and go, hey, like, here's everything this person told me, <laughs> just so mm-hmm. everybody knows, right? So it's held in confidence, one. And two, it is considered separate, right? So what I can't do is to go, oh, well, you know that cool project you want to work on? Remember that thing you told me, wink, wink? I can't give it to you because of that. Like, they actually do have to genuinely remain separate unless they conflate them together and go, you know, that business trip that you, you wanted to send me on, I can't do it because, mm-hmm. right? And I then it puts me in a place where I understand and I can also respect it. But there's a, it's a, it's a fuzzy line. But for, to me, it seems really clear where you go, you must respect where that other person's at. It also helps you lead them better, work with them better, but also to not apply that disclosure or a bit of information or a bit of vulnerability to everything that's true or, or everything that happens in their sort of work life, right? This is also a thing that we just do naturally when we see each other's personal lives, right? When we follow each other on Facebook, when we run into each other, when we text back and forth, like all the personal stuff is already happening. And what ends up happening is I think we end up treating it in a, in a cavalier way as opposed to in a respectful way. That makes sense. I wonder if there's any boundaries for when someone can't really hear like your disclosure. So like, let's say there are certain things that I mean, there's probably certain topics that I don't really want disclosed to me or I don't want to just like sit down with somebody and just hear everything like all the time. I definitely have a lot of friends that like I'll sit down with and they will just dump everything on me. And that Mm -hmm. (laughs) is receiver of those disclosures is very emotionally taxing job. Yeah, And how do you create boundaries where you want to be empathetic to somebody's situation, but maybe it's just not the time or the place, or you just can't like help. You can't be there for them in that moment. Uh, One, both your questions are fantastic. And this is all stuff that we navigate in making our books. We navigate in working with each other because we're always dealing with sensitive topics. I think this brings up the idea of consent and and I'll use it because I think it's it's really relevant when it comes to heavily charged, heavily sensitive, heavily vulnerable conversations, is you as the other party have to be a consenting participant. You have to you have to consent to be a part of that conversation. It's like my my kids like to do this thing where they come home from school or something and they just start dumping and they start complaining about a bunch of stuff. Here's all the bad stuff that happened at school today. And I sort of go are you talking to me? I'll literally say, are you talking to me? And they'll say, yeah. Like, can you believe that? And I, I said, well, like, I didn't, I never joined this conversation. <laughs> you, you never, you never said hi. You, like I never opted into this. You just started talking to me. And in fact, I kind of, I just feel icky because it feels like you want me to feel all the same ways about your things that happened to you. I never even agreed to hear any of it. Right. And this is like a, it's a very small example with my kids and there's a different relationship there because I'm their dad. But you get to be on the other side to say, I'd love to hear it or tell me about it. Or yeah, I, I've got the space to carve out time. We'll go grab lunch and we'll talk about it. And you can also say, you know, I'm not really in a space where I can 
walk through that with you or to hear it or, and you can usually tell when the stuff's coming, Hey, I've got something really important I need to tell you <laughs> again. You can say, now's not the time. Right. And that's yeah. okay. Right. And you get to be a consenting party in that. And we all know what it feels like when somebody comes and dumps something on us and we're like, I didn't ask for that. Like, I didn't, I didn't really want that to happen. Like, that's not okay. I don't know why that's like triggering me a little bit because I feel like a lot of people do tell me, dump on me like that because I do just listen. Just listening, I think is such an important part of being a friend or or a mom. I I think that you're right and you, uh, you are that person for a lot of your friends, but I can't, I know I can't be that person for some of my friends that are going through stuff that I'm just like, I can't empathize with you right now. Like I can't pour myself out to your, what you're going through right now. And you need somebody who is going to do that for you in this moment. And I think that's like where the boundaries come in. Like you might not need those boundaries with people talking to you about emotional things. But for me, like, I definitely know I need those boundaries sometimes. I feel like that's tough. That's tough to do to your friend. Yeah. I don't know. It is, but I I mean, this is a whole new, this is a whole new revelation for me that you can actually do that. So this is, I need to, I need a little time with this idea. Yeah. Because to me, if Gigi comes home and, and wants to, dump on me Mm -hmm. I'm her mom like dump yeah go ahead get it all out you'll feel better when you talk about it and I may or may not empathize with her or sympathize with her but you know in the meantime I feel like she needs to 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 say what she wants to say I I agree there are well again it's like that's a situation with your child so it's different but I think that Sometimes I, whatever they need from that conversation, like when somebody's disclosing something to you, they are wanting something out of that conversation. And if you can't give that to them, then it's better you don't have that conversation. Wouldn't you agree? There's so much at play here. Is this happening at work? Is this happening with a family member? Is this happening with a child? So what's the relationship? I think that in part dictates some of the things here. I also think there's different kinds of dumping, right? There's the, can you believe that guy who pulled right in front of me? Like, right? What's the deal with that, right? And what you're looking for is validation to go, I should be outraged, right? Like, be outraged with me, right? That, that's one of those scenarios where, well, one, you're not even getting to consent. They're they are dragging you into it, right? Which is a, a little ways unfair. There's the, I had a really hard day and I need somebody to hear about it, Right here you go. And, and you just, you listen to it all. Right. And you, and you let them get it out and they feel great afterwards and you go, that sounds like a lot. Right. And they feel better. And then there's the other kind where it's like, you know, it's, it's my kids. I have nothing to wear. I have nothing. Like this is my kid's new big thing. (laughs) Um, And then what they're looking for and when I don't respond, yeah, it's like, uh, fix it. And I'm like, Oh, are we going to buy clothes now? And they're like, well, but I don't have it. And I'm sort of like, the solution to your problem is not one I can provide. We're literally heading to school, right? 
what they actually might in turn be looking for some emotional validation to go, I'm just frustrated this morning and I need somebody to see me and hear me. And right, that's part of the navigating that. But I think what I what I hear is yes, listening is good. And especially when you're in a friendship and there's a there's a there's a reciprocal nature to you sort of owe that to them, right? That's what it means to be friends. But there's another kind of exchange that happens that I think is deeply unfair. And that's where the other person essentially is, is trying to transfer their rage or outrage or disgust or something like that, where they actually want to imprint it upon you. That feels like something that you have to consent to, where you go, I don't have to feel outrage to be here and listen to you. But when that's expected, then that's, they've crossed a line where now that expe- expectation is, has leaped into a different zone. And again, all this is like contextual, the who, the when, the how, the where, what's that relationship? Well, we all know what it feels like for those people. I mean, just think in your brain right now, who are those people that you just go, I can always go talk to them. And I always feel better after I talk to them. And you, you also have respect for those folks. You have regard. You, you, you weirdly want to protect them and you care for them deeply and you'd never cross a boundary with them. We all know who those people are in our lives, right? We all know who those people are in our lives who aren't like that, who we have to sort of emotionally navigate just being safe with. And I think that's at play when it comes to, to this kind of stuff and the consenting or not consenting to carry somebody else's stuff. For me, I think there are certain situations. I, I mean, I love when we disagree on stuff because I think it like creates the best conversations. But for me, I think that I definitely have prominent figures in my life that consistently dump on me every si- single time I am with them. And I know now that I still love those people. Some of them still have to be in my life. And I have to create boundaries in those, in those settings because I know that I can't just like be the dumping ground every single time as much as I feel indebted to them. Mm. Yeah. It's about like whether or not you can handle those dumpings. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I feel like we could have taught, this was just one little scratching the surface subject. I know. Like there's all 60 books. Yeah. All these. That's why I guess you have how many podcasts Four, six, eight. Well, we just launched our eighth podcast. It's called Everyday Feels. Yeah. So this is the stuff of life, you know, and especially all the more important when it comes to, to kids and navigating it. And the debates we have internally are just like this around... How do you navigate the most sensitive stuff when it comes to not just the kids, but the grownups in the room, right? We did a book. We've done books on suicide. We've done books on cancer. We're doing a book on Alzheimer's. Like we're, all this stuff is, it's weighty. It can be triggering. It can be sensitive. It can be really difficult to navigate. So how do you, how do you speak to a kid in that place? Right. And, and that's tough. And so we have these same conversations. I mean, I know the books are for kids. I know this is all about kids, but it's really so important for adults and and everyone to have these conversations and talk about it. And even today in our hour, I've learned a lot myself already. 
we wanted to say thank you <laughs> for joining us. And yeah, I think there's a lot to think about here. From my perspective, I think that like something that I've been learning in my later years that I wish I had learned was the simple lesson that you said that a lot of the books are really focused on, which is it's okay to feel your feelings. It's it's not the best to just push them down. And that is really something that I have had to learn in therapy as a young adult. So I wish that I had these books growing up so that I, kn- I knew it was okay to talk to my friends and family about difficult things that I was going through. And I would just say like, that's, that's probably my biggest takeaway as simple as it sounds, but something that I hope that everyone can, can be more authentic with their feelings, like whether it be with friends or online or with their coworkers, with their family. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find all of your products and books and yeah, it's all uh, at a kidsco.com. That's a kidsco.com. And you'll find uh, our books, which is this amazing growing collection. Um, and we'll have a bunch of new books out this fall, as well as our podcasts and our, our newest product, a kid's class about, which are sort of social emotional learning classes designed for kids, early adolescence, so sort of think 10 to 15. And we don't pull any punches. We go there. So if you can imagine, you know, where those conversations sit for 12 and 13 year olds. Um, for us, we, we just want to be transparent and authentic. So a kidsco.com is where you can find it all. Awesome. Amazing. If you have a little person in your life, then this is definitely the place to go. Or if you didn't learn these things growing up, <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I think. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> We're too late to go back and learn and it the first it, yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so thank much for you. joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Great. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Thank you. You have a great podcast voice, by the way. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Hope you guys love this episode. And thanks so much to Ginny Media for our audio production. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening.